Welcome to Random Movie Generator. Absolutely. And this episode's rather special, David. It is. We have got a third musketeer in the room with us. Yeah, Morning. not yet, but Rufus Jones is joining us. He certainly is. I'm um, slightly nervous because it's usually just you, me, and uh, the Random Generator, and I'm so on edge. I don't know why. Oh, please. I've met him before. Really, you got, ner- you got the nervies. Uh, yeah, I have. I don't know why. Watch your P's and Q's. I've got my questions ready. Just, and I'm losing faith in my questions. So, so Rufus is an actor, writer. Oh, um, he's done loads, isn't he? Radio presenter. Oh, I didn't know about the radio presenting. That's new know, to it. You know, he does it on... Um, he fills in for Commode and Mayo. Oh, yes, of course he does. Oh, how ridiculous. Yes, he does. Absolutely. David, you should notes. be absolutely... Your gonads should be exploding. Oh, they've at this already point. exploded, and I've cleaned them up. I'm now oh, a that's eunuch. Horrible. Sorry, that's a that's, that's, oh, that's what a eunuch. A eunuch is that the word when you're asexual because you've, you've lost your uh, biological system? So, um, so you're a little bit you're a little bit nervous. Little bit. I am a little bit nervous. You are right about the commoda filling. Um, because, yeah, he did a great review of Nope. He got really interested. Yeah, I listened to that. He's very, very good. He's very knowledgeable of his films. I've listened to him on podcasts. Can I ask a question, it. David? Because you obviously review mo- review movies on our, this podcast. Do you ever steal some of Rufus's ideas and thoughts? The Raider Lost Ark analysis, certainly. <clears throat> There's a few there. Um, but perhaps not on our podcast, but definitely down the pub if I'm chatting to people. You know, a little turn of phrase. He's got. He's certainly got an Oxbridge way about him, isn't he? With his sort of, uh, you know, his ability to analyse and examine things and put things articulately. And um, I might, you know, take it and perhaps dust it off and call it my own. The odd little, uh, <laughs> the odd little uh, fact nugget rolling off Mind my. Mind if I tell him that? Um, perhaps I don't know. Can this not thing on through? Perhaps not. Perhaps not. <laughs> that might expose me a little too much. Uh, There's a difference between compliments and just stealing from someone. Do you know what I mean? So, in this episode, we've obviously, for those of you who don't know this podcast, we have a random movie generator next to us. It's about, what is it, two and a half foot, but it's a two and a half foot cube. Yes. It's orange, got buttons and levers. If you press a button, you can hear. What's your favourite movie, David? Favourite movie of all time would be, as I said, Razor Lost Ark. Okay, so press a button here and you'll hear a little bit from Razor Lost Ark. That, and if and if you pull this that lever here, you'll hear uh, Denzel Washington. Pull the lever, David. Here we go. Hello, Denzel. Back to my beginnings. Yeah. So it's a clever little orange box, Definitely. and David's loaded five questions. And we call her Mandy, and David's yes. having a, a, a relationship. Brief with relationship. It's, it's a bit political at the moment. It's on and off. It's an on and off. Don't thing. worry about it. It's a lot to catch it's up. It's an on and off thing. I don't get into it now. But David's loaded, or I've loaded, David gave me five questions to ask Rufus, which I have loaded into Mandy, the random movie generator. And Mandy will ask Rufus David's five questions. We've got about five minutes per question, so it's a quick, nippy podcast. Absolutely. I'm I'm hoping the questions are up to the usual ilk, because this man's been interviewed by a lot of journalists. 
And um, I've kind of this is your chance, really. David. You could be, you know, a lot of people people who listen to this podcast they rate your views on. Um, uh, That's what I'm hoping. Well, yeah, this is your chance. You could be a movie reviewer. You could get paid for it. Maybe the BBC will come knock him. I mean, I'm 45 in March. You know, there is Are still really? a, a bit of petrol. I am 45. March 29th, I'll be 45. And I think, yes, How I am. How old were you when we first met? 35? No, I reckon I've been like 32, 33. Something like that. Just out of your 20s, and now you're touching 50. I know, it's frightening. That decade's gone like that. <laughs> really has. Just, just. I can't tell you what I've been up to. Ate a lot of pizzas, watched a lot of films. Yeah. And it just sort of, it's just gone in a second. And apparently the decades go quicker and quicker. So God knows what the rest of the 40s are going to be like. Anyway, let's focus no on the movies. Focus Absolutely. on the movies. Forget about the grave. Focus on Rufus. Yeah. So um, Rufus wrote the sitcom Home. Yes, big fan of that. Two seasons of that on Channel 4. That was great. Um, he was in the sketch group Dutch Elm Conservative. That's how I met Rufus originally. Dutch Elm Conservative, yeah, absolutely. With, Co- Dutch um, Elm what? Conservative? Conservatory. <laughs> Let's get this. Conservatoire. Abs- that's what I call my conservatoire that I have attached to my flat. Yeah. I'm in the conservatoire, watering the um, plants. Yeah, that's how I met Rufus originally. And, um, yeah, he's consulate. What else? He did the J- Julia Davis sitcom. Well, I mean, if you look at his IMDb, Go he's done 104 acting roles. You counted them? Well, no, he actually said at the top, I would have counted them on Dedicated to the Podcast. 104? Yeah, I'll have to ask him that at the beginning. 104, from 2002 onwards. I mean, surely that can't be right. Can 104, that's a lot of... What, you think he's lying? Good grief, no. I would not start a podcast with um, pointing the uh, my bony finger and calling someone a liar. That wouldn't be the best uh, foot to start any kind of audio relationship on. So I'd avoid that. So actually, I've made it clear. So today, David, so Rufus was in Stan and... Hey, Stan and Lock, Ollie. Ollie and Stan. <laughs> no, don't... <laughs> Guys, let's just cut this out. Stan... No, and let's Ollie. keep this in. Stan and Ollie. Stan and Ollie. That's the that's the name of the okay, film. Okay, so you so your five questions are Stan and Ollie related. So we're really zooming in and focusing in on Rufus's experience of making that film. You sent me several texts to keep you focused to make sure I don't veer off into other things. It's called Stan and Ollie. It came out in 2018, directed by John S. Baird, and um, it stars Steve Coogan and John C. Riley. I love that you've written all this down. I have. I've got several notes everywhere. I, you know, this is my big break. I don't want to do a run up and miss the. Um, what's the? No, it's called? great that you've done that. Have you got any other facts about the film before we before Rufus joins us? He played the character John S. No, that's the name of the director. Here we go. <laughs> too many notes. This is what happens. I've got too many notes now. Bernard Del Fom, uh, Rufus Jones plays. Who's the chap? Who's the? Because um, I watched the, the film again recently. He's the um, theatre manager who gives Stan and Ollie the opportunity to come to Britain to make some money because obviously their Hollywood career is coming to an end, isn't it? So they've come to Britain to kind of, um, you know, uh, push their career up because there's a big following and make some dosh. And at the same time, they're independently making a small film, a kind of Robin Hood parody. But mm. it's very much the twilight of their career. It's very much a bittersweet swan song, isn't it? It's like they've had their big Hollywood career. They perhaps didn't play it as well as they should have, really, with their Hollywood career. Because Chaplin was a clever one, wasn't he? He went independent on his own. He started United Artists. But uh, Stan and Ollie, they kept 
um, prisoner to their contract, a bit like Buster Keaton did. Do you know what I heard? Uh, that Stan Laurel continued to write sketches for him and Oliver Hardy after his death. Yes, I, there's a South Bank show about him. Yeah, and they How talk sad about that. Is that. Very small LA apartment, literally like a bed set. Sat there, still writing. Do you think you'd do this podcast after I die? Just talking to no one. Perhaps in the bath. Absolutely. Like I said, in the bath. Well, I sometimes get interviewed by Jonathan Ross in the bath, which I'm sure most people do. You know, you have those. What, you you fantasise? Yes. No, I mean, would you carry on the podcast without me? Um. Yeah, I think I'd give it a go. I don't know how many people would listen because it'd just be one man talking to himself. (laughs) But I mean, I think that's all right. I think if I, I think if I, I'd be walking. I think I'd do it absentmindedly in my head if I was in Tesco's. Probably do some reviews with you, have a chat with you. Yeah. I don't know if I'd actually broadcast it live, but it'd definitely be an absent-minded thing I'd do, like mon- memory muscle. You know, you gave start. me a little shiver when I heard he did that, Stan Laurel. It gave me a oh, little bit of. Oh God, it's horrific. Well, it's like Captain Mannering. You know, um, Arthur Lowe. I saw a documentary about him recently. He was in a bed sit on his own. A lot of well, it's them not just that. Like, it's continuing the. I don't mind I mean, the bed. I mean, the bed <laughs> sit, don't get me wrong. It's not just the. Uh, I don't mind the bed sit. No, it's just continuing writing the sketches when your uh, partner's oh, no more. Abs- absolutely horrific. Just complete. Just carrying on. For I mean, that's quite an obsessive mentality, isn't it? Episodes that will never be seen. Type of thing. I saw. I saw that recently in the South Bank show, David and um, Edwards, yeah, he just uh, his his um his son was interviewed, and he oh, oh, he showed his office, and it was just just typewriter. It's not a computer, is it? So it's just be papers upon papers everywhere of all these. There was one he just picked up and he looked at, and it was them playing crazy golf. I don't know, crazy golf became quite big because when did he die in the seventies or eighties? Didn't he? I don't know. I, I don't know the deets. So it was quite modern Laurel Hardy as well. Do you know what I mean? Some of the scenarios they're in, in some of the film scripts he was writing, was quite 70s, 80s, like kind of um, going to video stores and um, crazy golf. Okay, I'm, I'm admitting uh, Rufus into the. Good grief, here we go. Here we are. A moment of... Uh... Hello. Hello, oh, Rufus. Hi there, Rufus. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I can't see you, Rufus. Can't see you, unless that's what you planned. We'll do something. Where are you, exactly? Hey. I ah, can hear you. Oh, here we lovely. go. Lovely. to meet you, sir. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hello. Hi there. I'm... Um, hi, how's it going? I'm great, man. I'm in London, Dave. I'm in... Um, just off Tottenham Court Road in my agent's office, bizarrely enough. Oh, thanks for doing this. That's all right. No, I, I had a couple of meetings and um, I, I suddenly thought, do we have a relationship with our agents where we can say, uh, look, I need not for like an hour. Is that all right? And it was all right. So for this cool little pod I'm doing. I feel, I feel like I've, I've really got my feet under the table. Here. <laughs> Rufus, what? now, lovely to talk to you. Likewise. Yeah, so we started this uh, movie podcast about... It's called Random Movie Generator. I'm aware of this. Yeah. Let me let me explain it. We've got this. I can't be bothered to explain it, but there's this orange robot in the podcast who we. I just say I love how closely you sit to your microphone. Very focused. It is. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're on a till. It's like you're on a till. <laughs> right. 
So David has loaded in five questions for you, okay. all about Stan and Ollie. Okay. But what I wanted to tell you, I don't know if you knew this, David is a film, a media lecturer. Is that right, David? I am, yep, definitely a teacher of film and TV. Oh, wow, and okay. you listen to Rufus, don't you, on the Kermode and Mayo? I do, yeah, I listen to your Sometimes notes. steal yeah, Rufus's great. opinions on films? Let's just get it all out. Absolutely. Let's let's push aside the boundaries. I was just saying to David how um, some of your your observations concerning film are very eloquently put, and I might sometimes grab them for myself when I'm down the pub with friends and uh, shine them off and use them as my own. Oh, yeah. I mean, one one Give thing I particularly like. Yeah. Well, it's good of you to say. Definitely, yeah. I really enjoyed your. Um, your Raids of Lost Ark episode on comfort. You was did, it didn't comfort you, David? That blew your mind, what Rufus. It really yeah. did, because I'm a massive Raids of Lost Ark fan, and too big, unhealthy. So for me to sit down, because I was like, oh, God, Raids of Lost Ark, I've done this. You know when you've, you've had too much of the same flavour ice cube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. kind of chunky monkey anymore that's dumb but you opened my eyes you opened my eyes my friend <laughs> hey! I, mean, I thought you know i thought it was really impressive well, that's nice that's that's run by a fellow called joel morris who's this amazing polymath and he's one of those fellas who can go away and you can say right i'm going to talk about raise the lost art and you go away for half a day and watch it and come back with 200 really brilliantly succinct opinions and um he's oh, amazing to be like that yeah but you were you you had some lovely opinions oh, as well, oh, thank you <laughs> you had some amazing can you make can you remember any david off the top of your head oh now? loads well i mean first of all flipping act oh, um, the um I, I didn't realize the casting the guy who um did a lot of the casting of the actors was well known for, for getting quite interesting quirky characters yeah he did like cuckoo's nest and stuff so yes and all that so i didn't know that that sort of fag packet theory is that he was really good at getting weirdos yes yeah yeah you... or interesting character actors because there's this theory isn't there that after i think the graduate was the first time where a big hollywood successful movie had had a not incredibly handsome star and so oh, really? after that so That's hoffman awesome. was like it was quite revolutionary the hoffman was was not this was not robert redford basically yes and so um and this this casting director director became really brilliant at getting these slightly wonky faces for that sort of new 70s kind of hollywood thing like cuckoo's nest or the godfather and all that stuff and uh yeah god he, that's he, amazing he did every brilliant film for 15 years that cast do you know what sometimes i look at paul newman and robert redford in the uh butch cassidy and i just I melt. I know. I know. They've got a unique anti-hero oh, vibe about them. No, they? they're you know beautiful. I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're absolutely beautiful. I know. But oh, apparently, there's a new there's a new documentary about Paul Newman where apparently, oh he, yes, it's good. He, thought yeah. he was a bit of a dog. <laughs> Paul Newman thought that he really didn't polish up, you know, uh, alongside James Dean or Brando. And he had a really low opinion of himself, and he think Christ wow. Almighty. It's a horrible, horrible industry we're part. Oh, it is, isn't it? The yeah. irony of it is just insane. That's really yeah. good. That documentary. It's HBO, isn't That's it? That's right. I haven't seen it. Yet. Yeah. It's really good. He gets loads of people to do the voices. Like George Clooney plays Paul Newman because a lot of it is they're reading from an autobiography and interviews that uh, Paul Newman never published. Yeah. So he's got all this material. And, uh, and it was during um, COVID, and they get all these different, like Sam Rockwell and people like that. I think it's coming on Sky soon. It's definitely worth oh, checking out. 
the other thing you said about Indiana Jones, which I thought was incredible, was um, you likened him to a grumpy sort of Jewish comedian. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you started off like that, I was like, where is he going with hang this? On, hang you on, really sold right, that. Come on, yeah. I know, hang on, hang yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But he has got that about him, hasn't he? I, I think, sort of curb your enthusiasm vibe. Yeah, that's all that my theory really about Han Solo. Oh, Han Solo, Harrison Ford, is that he's like Walter Matthau. And now he's yes, sort of he like Walter Matter. Yes, he is definitely. Literally, as you can imagine, him with Dennis the Menace type of thing. Yeah, you know, because he was like, it's like <laughs> you really, you chose the best Walter Matter film. Yes, <laughs> out of all of the classics, definitely he, went straight to the. Uh, my mill. theory is that he, he was older than everyone else. Uh, Harrison Ford, like in in uh, Star Wars, wasn't he? He was like thirty. Yes. And he's having and he's having to run around talking all this yeah, bollocks and all this rubbish, and he really doesn't. <laughs> Um, he makes no secret of, of the fact. No, he doesn't at all. No, he doesn't, doesn't rate the script, and this film could go either way. Yes. <laughs> it's like he's got one foot in the film and one foot out of it. So yeah, absolutely, it's so yeah. attractive to watch that. It's so amazing. Yeah. It's interesting when he goes to the Disney Expos. He's really, um, and they ask him who shot far first, your Greedo. You can tell he's just not interested. But what is interesting, and I saw this with David actually on one of our podcast things, um, he gave a clip to the new Indiana Jones film, didn't he, at the latest Disney exhibition, and he got tearful during oh, I that. Saw that. And that's the first time I think oh, he's been like non cynical. Like I, really no, I know, I thought this. I think he just knows, you know, the graves on its way. Oh, steady, though. So, I know, steady, oh, be, steady, be careful. He's going to be this the family show. The very artifact that didn't. Oh, um, no. Yeah, you're quite right. No. The Hollywood, too. Yeah, you're quite right. I, I had a friend who actually did a week on um uh on that film on the new one really and, who's that he's in a week on that all her scenes were with harrison ford wow she was amazing she said for the first two days she didn't say anything to him because you know where'd you start and she was just trying to play it really professional then apparently on day two he came up to her and said something really nice like i think this is going to be really good <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful did I ever tell you my Harrison Ford story, Dave? No, what's that? So, when was oh my God! Goodness, How are you going, Lance, David? Oh, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, I was, was twenty, right? When I was twenty, I uh, I'd left university and I was trying to act, and uh, and I only lasted a year. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did silver service while I was acting. You know, where you sort of were a waiter at sort of. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Stews and stuff. And um, and I was part of this kind of catering company. And one day they said, are you free on Thursday? I went, yeah, yeah. And they said, uh, we need your passport details for security. I went, what's going on here? And anyway, I gave them. And then we were bussed out at about 5 a.m. to Ascot. And it was King Hussein of Jordan's Ascot party. And, and I'm going around all the tables looking at the little name tags. And it's uh, David Bowie, Imam. But what? Fuck them. Because to be honest, at the next table was Harrison Ford. And I thought, right, whatever happens, I'm going to serve him a glass of champagne. And two hours later, I'm, I'm on champagne duty. And I see him and he's talking to Prince Charles, King Charles now. Harrison Ford, was it, do you remember when Harrison Ford had a bit of a midlife crisis and he had a little stud? Yes, I do. Six days around that. Yeah, exactly. Period, yeah. Like, Fuck, Rufus, I've, I've literally just taken mine out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You can pull it off, though, Captain. 
You can position somewhere else on your body. I actually asked my wife, where is it? Just in case I want it back in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, they're there talking. I said, right. And I go over and Prince, I was wondering, Prince Charles was wearing slippers. It was outside and he's wearing slippers because... Oh my I guess Lord. you can, you know, purple slippers. Do you want purple slippers? And Ford just looks amazing. And I served, I served Prince Charles his glass of champagne. You served Prince Charles? Yeah, I served him first because I'm saving Ford. It's like, right, get, get, the, get, get Prince Charles out of the way. Fuck him. And so, you yeah, know, you're quite right. I was really nervous. Yeah. And I then I turned to Harrison Ford and he did this. You know, normally you angle your glass for champagne so it doesn't bubble over. But he hasn't. And so I can't, I can't make him do that. No. And so I'm pouring champagne into this glass. And I'm suddenly aware that I've never really done this. Certainly haven't done it, done it for Harrison. And it could go all over his hand and all this. So I'm doing it. And I look up and he's staring straight at me while I'm doing it. And the conversation has paused between him and Prince Charles. And he's just watching me and I'm watching him trying to judge it. <laughs> And I judge it perfectly. Thank God. And then, and Ford basically takes it and cheeses me and goes, thank you very much. Oh my Lord. And then I left and two days later, I gave up acting. <laughs> because oh my God. I realized I'd achieved everything. I, I don't blame you. It's just to sort of meet Harrison Ford. It's all I ever wanted. Done it. Oh, it and also in his prime as well. I mean, yeah, if you know Harrison yeah. Ford now, it wouldn't be as exciting, would it? Well, I was going to say, your friend Rufus, who did the film with him, did she mention about his age? Did he, does no, he feel like no, an old I, man no, now? I haven't had a proper debrief. Right, I right. I think he's so, he's so Harrison Ford. I think maybe age just does not wither him. I Gosh. don't know. I think, <laughs> I, think sort of, I think you just kind of... Um, He's Harrison Ford, no matter how old and, and stupid well, they, 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 Apparently, there's a lot of scenes where they de-aged him, haven't they? A lot of the times on set, he's got the green spots on his face, like Rob De Niro and the Irishman. So he, you're going to get like a 40-year-old Harrison Ford for a lot of the scenes. I think he's going to be old. But then again, the scenes where they've taken photos of him on set, he is old. I mean, the guy's going to be 80 at the premiere, but he kind of still sort of pulls it off. Do you know what I mean? I guess he's got that old... Yeah. Sort of, I don't know, kind of old dog kind of vibe. I think this new one has to, it has to admit his oh, age. Oh, massively, yeah, I think so. There'd be lots of flashbacks, backwards and forwards. And James Mandigold, he did Wolverine, didn't he? Logan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. He's good. And he did Ford versus Ferrari as well. Yeah, with Matt Damon, that was good, wasn't it? And Copland, he did with Stallone. He's got form. He's quite a sort of independent filmmaker, really. Yes, he is. So I think it should be in good hands. But it's interesting that Spielberg turned his back on well, it, isn't it? He yeah. said no to it. Yes. Oh. I think he sort of thinks maybe, you know, he's got other bigger fish to fry type of thing. Right, David, I'm going to turn Mandy on now. Absolutely. If you don't mind. Actually, if you pull that lever, Rufus, uh, uh, a little moment from your favourite film we'll look at. This one here. What's your favourite film? Do you know what? My favourite film for pure nostalgia is On the Town. 
Um, a musical with Gene Kelly. Well, luckily enough, if you pull on. that leaf up, <laughs> there's a tiny little moment from that film. Here we go. That's a lovely little. That was beautiful. (laughs) It's clever, isn't it? (laughs) Right, so we've loaded in five questions all about Stan. We wanted to focus on Stan and Ollie. Okay. And um, because I thought it might excite David. Oh, big time. Big fan of the film. Yeah, Yeah. it was really hyped as well, wasn't it? It was a big deal when it came out. So I'll press this button and Mandy will ask the first question. No, I didn't. I, it was one of the one of the laziest auditions I've ever done. I, I, I don't know if you've had this, David, but when you're working on something like because I was filming a thing called W1A that was a, mm. a comedy about the BBC. And we were, um, we were filming that and, and they got, and I got this audition and I had no time to learn it. I had no time to learn the lines. Did you know who was involved when you went for the audition? I knew it was, yeah, I knew it was Steve. And I think I knew maybe it was Riley as well, but it's good. It's good when you're working on something else because you're so distracted by the, by the job you're doing that sometimes you sort of enter into the audition with a real sort of cavalier sense of, well, you know, this could go either way. Yeah. And, and you've got a job in... anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That, that false economy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. But I, I went for it. And then the, the director, John Baird, just got in touch really quickly. And he'd seen me in a thing called Camping. Uh, yeah. Julia Davis. Oh, Julia Davison. Yeah. You were good yeah. in that, wasn't it? That was really good. Oh, dark yeah. comedy. Yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. And, um, but yeah, I think he really liked that. And so we had a, we had a bit of a sort of uh, distant relationship, me and John. And then, then it all came together quite quickly. And I, so the weird thing also is that I, I'm a massive Laurel and Hardy fan. Like when I was- Oh, kid, are you? I was oh, a proper, God, proper obsessive. Like between, I don't know, 10 and 13, <laughs> I, was, I was so into them. My, my dad got me into them and I don't know, at school at that time, I was a bit of a loner. I was really obsessed with films and, and, and I was too young to be acting or anything, but I was, re- I don't know, I, I, I hadn't found my tribe. And so uh, Laurel and Hardy just became this real obsession for about two years for me. And then, then you discover, you know, drinking and girls and it all just, you, you sort of just park it. But they've always had this really sort of emotional pull for me. because it's very intensely uh, nostalgic for me. So when this came round, it was weirdly, I felt quite fatalistic about it. I felt weirdly fucking hell, you know, and, and so I knew 
I knew that I knew everything that had happened in that script pretty much, and and very little of it was news to me because I remember. Was it Jeff Pope? Jeff Pope wrote it. Wrote it and yeah, he's amazing. He's he is amazing. great. And yeah. he's, he did he's for the media, really, didn't he, and all that? Yeah, with Coogan. That's right. He's he's got this amazing life, Jeff, where he does. I did a show with him at the beginning of the year with Steve Merchant called Four Lives, which is this really upsetting drama about a real-life case of a serial killer. In oh, yeah. Who can play the killer? So Jeff wrote that, but Jeff's also writing a Jimmy Savile drama with... Oh, Steve. is he? Oh, Coogan, yes. So, yeah. so, but, so Jeff has this amazing life as this kind of ama- uh, incredible uh, impresario of, of fictionalised, you know, real-life biopics of often quite gruesome stuff. But he's also a real comedy nut. And his best mate is Danny Baker, for example, mm. Jeff Pope. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they're school chums. And um, and he co-wrote uh, Danny's sitcom. Cradle to Grave, was it? Yeah, Cradle exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. It was really sweet. And yeah, and, and so Jeff's kind of, he was perfect for that, really, for Stan Lolly, and he really did a number on it. And, um, and I don't know, like... All told, I think between getting the job and stepping on set, it was only about two weeks. Dave and Tellier, you know, often it's like, often you're just straight on. It's kind of, I don't know if someone dropped out, but it was. But I, Rufus, I I've got to ask because I'm obsessed with it because I suffer greatly from it to the point where I had to go and see someone to get help. Oh, sorry. You suffer from what, Dave? Nerves. Oh, right. Okay. Like yeah. I, I did a film in April and I nearly pulled out because I just, I get paralyzed from nerves. Mm-hmm. Do you did you suffer? Do you suffer from them? And did you going into I did, that? On- I did, but I, I used to suffer loads. But I, I, I don't know. With, with Stan and Ollie, it hit me at just the right period of my career where I, I'd, I'd done enough and I was confident in my voice a little bit, you know. Okay. And I sort of knew why I was cast and the job. Do you know what I mean? And it was just I had just enough self knowledge. But if it had been like two years earlier. It would yeah. have been alive, you know? Yeah. Does um, it depend yeah. on the production size as well? Careful how many questions you got, oh, David. Please. Very true. Five questions. Very, very true, very true. <laughs> Let's keep it basic. Because <laughs> you've got to them. You've got to keep to the rules. Because um, with um, Stan and Ollie, it's a big production. Because you've done TV beforehand. Yeah. It, I always think it must be very uh, nerve-wracking to wander in. John C. Riley, Steve Coogan, lots of cameras, period set set piece you know yeah, really yeah. carefully put together and then right action yeah how do you yeah it is, now? it is different well i've done a couple of movies before i did a movie a couple of years before that with jackie chan of all people wow what was that rush hour was well, it that knows a thing called the <laughs> chris Tucker. and Absolutely, uh, yes i know i i did a film called the foreigner which is this um martin campbell film with uh jackie chan and pierce brosnan Oh, I remember that in one. On yes, Netflix. Yes. And it's a real lot of it. It's like Jackie Chan fights the IRA. Wow. And it's it's a real curio and it's got some really good moments. And I I um and I spent two weeks out in China filming that. Uh and met Jackie and had a drink with him and Martin Hanks oh, like Golden Eyes. Golden Eyes, a big deal, isn't it? Zorro, and so yeah. that was a real that was a real learning curve on like, wow, this is this top table of kind of uh hollywood mythology you know so th- i learned a lot on that there was a, there was a, when i was in shanghai i um i checked in at the hotel and one of the first people i saw there was jackie chan and he was in like he was in a fedora and a sort of panama suit and he was and he looked really at ease 
and he was saying hi to everyone, shook my hand, and hey, how you doing? And um, and I said to the director afterwards, God, he's really he's really comfortable, like in this hotel. Like I thought he'd be, um, I thought he'd be, you know, a bit reclusive. Martin Campbell just said he owns the fucking hotel. He's oh, all his friends, and he basically just goes from hotel to hotel with a retinue of like 150 people who are just installed to create that's reality nuts. around him. Yeah, wow. Because he's like that is incredible. Yeah, he is literally like Elvis, isn't he? I mean, he's like an international franchise. He really he? is. So I, I don't know. That for me was the real eye opener. That 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 film. And yeah. So by the time it got to to Stan and Ollie, I sort of felt. But Coogan, you know, he's part of our. Yeah, if you do comedy. Oh, play, massively, totally. I mean, he's part yeah. of like not just this era, other eras, eras, eras. He's just like he's he's become oh. oxygen now, isn't he? He's not like a there. What there wasn't like a Coogan landmark period. He's just continuous. I know, isn't he's he? just always been there, isn't he? Um, he's as uh, relevant now as was. The other thing I was going to um hang ask, on. Oh, Let's sorry, press sorry. Mandy's belly. Quite right. It's all there about we go. <laughs> on the belly button. Robot. Someone needs to be. <laughs> Okay, Mandy, you ready? I'm just going to pull this lever. And David's second question. John C. Riley and Coogan, um, did they have... Cool, let's call him Steve. Let's call him Steve, absolutely. Let's, so we've known him for several decades now. Call him Steve. John C. Riley and Steve. Um, Coogan. Did they have... Coogan, let's be respectful. Actually, um, Coogan. Have... <laughs> quite right. Can we go back to Coogan? Go back to Coogan. Surnames, like he's a teacher type of vibe, some respect. Um... Do they have different or similar techniques getting into character? Because the whole film is kind of based around can they pull off this magic trick? Because it's like the Jimmy Savile thing it's with true, Jeff Pope. It's, true. Yeah. it's, it's like, can they do it? Yes or yeah. no? So it's like, yeah. Great question, David. Oh, thank you. That's uh, a good call. question. They arrived. I think John had stayed with Steve. Steve lives just outside Brighton. And I lived down there as well. Did he really? All and right. John came over and stayed with Steve at his place for like, I think, quite a few weeks and they they really developed the voices and everything and uh and a lot of the and there was this choreographer called toby sedgwick who i'd worked with years ago who uh is a sort of physical theater guy and and is really plugged into music he's a genius and so he did all the routines with them so they arrived totally match fit and wow john is quite uh he's um I, did, I, I didn't really get to know him that well, if I'm honest. And part of that was me, you know, just being hugely intimidated by him. Because it's one thing dealing with Steve, but in John, it, you know, he's like a, anyone's hero. Oh, he's done loads, isn't If it? you're yeah. in comedy and you, ha- you aspire to do some drama as well, Riley's oh, massively. career is like... The one the Paul Thomas Anderson out. films, even before what he's done with Will Farrell, isn't it? It's massive. Exactly, exactly. Stepbrother. I'm obsessed with yes. Stepbrothers. Like um, me and Julia Davis often say, Step Brothers is like probably the funniest film. Oh yeah, it's great. It's dumb and dumber level. level yeah, you know what I mean, nice. hilarity. And, um, I think I think, but John had this thing where he was under this extraordinary prosthetic thing that took three hours to put on. Oh right. And uh, and the fat suit had a air conditioning system built into it. Oh really? In right. summer. And so he, they'd attach him to the back of a sort of machine like Tweaky. In- <laughs> oh my lord. It pump cold air into him and it was, so he was like, he was just under these layers of prosthesis. And so he had to really keep his shit, to- looking back, he really had to keep his shit together, I think, to stop from going 
mad, if you know what I mean. I think there's a real discipline when you're acting under prosthetic. I've, I've done a bit of that, and you get a bit quiet and you get a bit a bit internal. Claustrophobic. Yeah, just because, you know, it's not really pleasant and comfortable. It's funny, Ruth, when we did Brian and Charles, Chris in oh, Charles. Yeah, exactly. No one ever spoke to him. Yeah. I like forgot he was on set. Yeah. He just used to sit on the chair in the corner. I know. Yeah. I know this is it. People, yeah. people just take it at face value and go, oh, the robot can look after itself. <laughs> He's powered down. <laughs> I can't believe you had to step in between those two and do your performance. It was it was a weird it was a weird one because he uh, Delphont was him and the wives that Shirley Henderson played in Nerea. Uh, yeah, she's good in it, isn't she? Shirley yeah, yeah, they're really it? brilliant. But Jeff gives most of the comedy to us three, and Stan and Ollie are the drama of it. And so, what you find yourself doing is having to create jokes, sometimes physically in between two of the funniest people on earth. What do you mean, create jokes? We're not Just... going for jokes, you know. Oh. So there was. So it's hard to explain because Delphont is like a sort of shyster. I don't think he was in real life particularly, but he's a, you know, he's a, he's a pretty, he's kind of a wide boy, made very successful impresario, but he's constantly letting them down. And in the end, they, they, uh, they sort of come together like as a unit. But for a while there, he's just delivering sort of bad news in that very sort of PRE sort of way. And so th there were quite a few sort of funny bits. And I remember, I remember one morning getting a call at like 6 a.m. I don't know if Ricky's ever done this to you, Dave, but where they write up your part on the day. And I suppose with you guys, it's much more improvised, but I mm. got. I got a new script at 6am. Oh my gosh. Where my scene had grown from like two pages to six. Oh. You've got to learn it all. And it was terrifying. And I remember having a real... How much are they expecting you to be on it now it's been changed? Uh, because they'd done the rewrites, Jeff was off it by then. And, so, and he'd given carte blanche to Stephen John, I think, to, you know, sort of massage it a bit. Ooh. And because it's their rewrites, you know, you want to do it properly and i had 45 minutes to relearn this scene and i remember we were in maid of ale in this pub that i used to drink in weirdly enough and i sort of thought to myself right i could almost cry i'm so nervous oh because it was just like oh this is this is a lot man and i it is and i uh, without sort of I, I didn't get angry but i sort of thought right if i'm gonna get through this i've got to um, I've got to enlist their help. <laughs> and I knocked on Riley's door and he was just sort of um, having his makeup reapplied. And I said, John, we're going to, can you run the lines with me? And we're going to do this for 20 minutes, please. And he was great. And he went, yeah, okay. Yeah, fine. And we just, and we sat down and he just fed me the lines for 25 oh, minutes. Okay. And not really correcting me, but just getting me comfortable. And that, was brilliant because that that was quite early on and you know you know at some stage when you're performing with heroes like that you've got to get over it and you've got to sort of go yeah, definitely I've got, to, I've got to i've got to do welly and i want to do a good job so you've got to stop hero worshiping and sort of treating them you've got to treat them as equal you know and that was a really great moment for me because you know basically you're asking john c Riley just to, to help run your lines <laughs> And did he rewrite them, John C. Riley? Then so it was. Hey. It was who who rewrote the? Who well, Steve, Stephen Post? John. I think Stephen John that morning thought, "Oh, we, we could have we could have more more fun here," 
and and all the fun was sort of Delfont leading Stan and Ollie down a down a path where he basically um, says, "Oh, we're cutting out these dates, but we're gonna uh, have a, a the, the tour's going to end in Hull, and he's trying to sell them Hull as this right, kind of okay. great great theatre town." Yeah, and, wow. um, and so, so some of it survived. I don't want to give the impression that you know. Uh, Jeff left and they rewrote it because that, that didn't happen. And but you were just given no, hours to come up with it, just literally hours. To no, and I, th- I think there'd probably been a conversation where we've got to we've got to bump up this scene, right? As is always often the case, the film starts filming and you you don't get around to it until the day. I don't know, like an afterlife or anything, Dave. Where you know Ricky will kind of go, oh, let's have fun with this bit because you know. There's more. There, there, there's more here than is on the page. And, and it's fa- you're sort of filled with so much adrenaline. You just go, okay, yeah. You just go, go for it. And you take a leap, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I remember coming back from that day where the short-term memory was. You know, it can be so exhausting just sort of using that the front of your head just to remember this new stuff. Yeah. And I remember that by the time I got home, I slept for like twelve hours. It was just. Like, I can imagine it being so stressful. Too stressful to the extent that I wouldn't be able to do it. I think. I think I'd be so stressed. I don't think it's, it's a real. Yeah, it's a real moment where I, I, was, I look back on. I go, oh, you dealt with that quite well. Yeah, it sounds like you did. I'd, I'd had a moment like ten years before that. One of the first things I did when we'd sort of first met Dave, and I did mm. a just a day on like some Martin Clunes job, some Martin Clunes drama. I was playing his doctor. And I hadn't really learned the lines properly. I was a bit cavalier and I got in the next day and I went to pieces. I just couldn't remember them. And I had one of those days where I was really led by the hand by Martin and the director. And how, how was Martin in that He situation? was wicked. They were brilliant. Oh, that's but amazing. I was, one of the, I was one of those moments where I just... Uh, Have I told you my uh, Inspector Lindley moment? No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've mentioned this. Oh, mate, tell me. Come on. Well, I'd done extra. I mean, I've said this before with people. Sorry, I apologise, but I'd done extras. I'd never acted before. Yeah, yeah. At all. I don't know what I was doing. And then I, and then I got put up for a couple, another audition. I got, the, I got this, I got this Channel Four thing, and I remember thinking acting's quite easy. And then I went up for this other audition, and I got Inspector. Like, I don't know why I was doing Inspector Lily, but I got it. I thought acting's really easy, actually. And then I, when I got to the set, I'd never really been, apart from extras, but it felt different. I, I didn't know anyone. I put, I was putting the trailer. I drove a lorry for a living. I had to sit in the trailer for five hours because they were running behind. I hadn't learnt my lines, so I, I didn't really know that you had to learn them. I was just, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I started panicking in the trailer. I couldn't take in any information. They, they called me down to the set. It's like half night. It was the final scene. I recognised a couple of the actors that did my head in. So I felt like what, imposter syndrome. It's all the crew. I'd never done anything like this before. And then they said, okay, action. And I was just staring at the the other guy. And um, it got <laughs> to the point. Gosh. I kept going, oh, sorry, I don't know what the... Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And then it got to the point where the director said, okay, we'll take a 45-minute break. And David can learn his lines. Ugh. At like half nine at night. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. my, my, my comment from my day was Martin leaning over and genuinely nicely saying, you're doing really well. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That is nice. That's not what you sort of expect. But it was, it was the sort of kiss of death, you know. Yeah, at the same time. David, what's your third question? 
I'll just, uh, there we go, press Mandy's uh, back. Got a green button there. Third question. I'm trying to think, this, oh, this isn't a controversial one. It's not, I'm not to worry about. Still it's, um, I would have thought, I, I was surprised they didn't get nominated for more awards for the actual film. Jeremy, for, for their performances. Was there any feeling of that at all? I don't I don't, know. Thought... I don't, you don't really follow... Um, it's weird with films. You know, like with TV shows, I'm able to kind of follow the journey of it. Like, or, or I don't know, like kind of you have a screening and but I, don't, I still don't know really how movies work as an industry. And I think it was up. Steve was up for a BAFTA. I think John was up for a Golden Globe. They were in there every now and then, but I thought it would sweep the boards, really. And also, especially the topic with the Academy and all that, I thought it was just, you know, in the But do you know what, though? I think, um, I don't know if Laurel and Hardy are a huge, uh, iconic thing in the States, which sounds weird, because it's... Oh, really? Really? But but they are not held in the affection that they're held here and in Europe. Um, Really? That's That's what you know. You know, Americans like are obsessed with Martin and Lewis or the Stooges. Yes, the Stooges, big time. Is it Judd Apatow always talks about the Stooges? Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, the Stooges over here, you kind of go, whatever, mate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I I just think Laurel and Hardy is sort of they were given sort of Oscars at the end of their life. Stan Laurel was given an honorary one right at the end of his life, but they were always, I think, they were sort of considered kid stuff, and not a serious proposition so i don't so you know how chaplin when robert downey jr did chaplin that was a big oscar thing because that was yes and i think chaplin carries that that great sort of um hollywood folklore about him but but laurel and hardy don't really so and also i think things like how much money the studio is putting behind the promotion and yeah that's a big point yeah theaters it opens in and stuff i think all that stuff really makes a difference um in it and yeah so i don't know I, it got a really nice response and i i got a really i had a nice little ride with it and the premiere was like a M, the empire leicester square and um uh I, I, it was the first premiere really big premiere i'd ever been to and it was bad red carpet <laughs> i remember my kids were barely a year old and me and philippa we got all dolled up and a car came for us and we were leaving our our babies. I've got a twin twin girls. We were leaving our babies with my mother-in-law, and we just went in to check on them just before we were about to leave. And they managed to get a, a bottle of Sudacrem and oh put it Lord. all over. Them. <laughs> oh they were like some Botticelli angels, just white. And I remember just in in all our gear, just trying to scrub it off and going off. Oh, not not missing the Hollywood dream. Yeah, exactly. But that but that night was really amazing, and, and we had and we all went on and walked on before and after the film, and backstage just having a drink with Riley, and he was he was really complimentary, and 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 that meant a lot because it was quite stressful when we filmed it, and and I and Steve and I sort of bonded, and but I, I never really got to new John, so it was nice nice to see him out of the. Does a film like that open doors for you at all, career-wise, or not to extend yeah. what you'd expect? You, you never really know, you know. No, I imagine, yeah. Really. And also, I don't know, people consume stuff so differently. But they do, don't they? Yes. So, so, so down in Brighton, like I get, I, I don't know, a good few times a week, I'll get people talking about how much, how they've just seen camping and how much they love it. 
there are loads of people who think that came out last year or something because it's, it's on now tv like yeah yeah and i quite like that yeah, quite yeah I used to nice correct them, but now i just run with it yeah, yeah. thanks very watching much the, really um, happy with it watching the film again on stan and ollie that really did hit me the idea how we do consume tv differently because they cut every now and then don't they to this massive audience in a cinema watching stan and ollie on this massive screen and media's become so decentered now isn't it you know streaming uh you know go to the cinema maybe twice a year whereas yeah. you know if you if you were a screen star back then you were a god weren't you there yeah, are really so many types of media out there now it's there's just like an assortment it's everywhere right. it's, it's just in the in the air and it's I, in the air but I, but I do sort of think that looking back it was amazing that we had a big premiere and and because if it if it, it came out in 2018 or something and if that was post lockdown for instance if that was a year later that is straight to amazon or that is oh absolutely 100% 100% that medium budget drama definitely. a, a well loved but kind of niche curio you know that would never never have had a moment you know yeah. but, I, but weirdly i i the one career thing it led to was mark kermode and simon mayer really liked it and and now I sort of now I I, I sort of guest present whenever they're sort of a that's off the back of that a sort of yeah it was like sort of the beginning because I, I I did Mark Como's night at the at the oh, BFI. did you I, it blew my nut I was sat being interviewed by him amazing it's like what oh, am I doing here brilliant man I I want to hear that did you have a good time with him I had a lo- he was such a lovely man a sweet man and they're, yeah they're, he really they're, is they're sweet. real enthusiasts and um, yeah it was honestly so when um. When we were editing, probably when we were filming Brian and Charles, we'd we'd always say, "Sort of don't care. I just want to know what Kermode thinks of it. That's all I care about." That's exactly what I felt with Stan and Ollie. I'm really obsessed with their um, podcast because I've been listening to it like so many people. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Kermode's great. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just they've got this amazing, you know, sort of thing that's like the template for every podcast out there now. It's become that the banter and his observations are always backed up with clear points. It's just sort of... No, yeah, it's all very natural. And it's so, yeah, it meant meant a lot. It meant a lot to get a a nice response from them. That was like sort of job done. I was just happy with that. Well, when he reviewed ours, I remember Chris... I remember hearing... We're all on the WhatsApp, and Chris just said, the king has spoken, the battle is over. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That's how it feels, right? Oh, that's what if I was just like, and relax. That was it. The weird thing about reviews is, if you, if you do go looking for them in the press, 50% of them will be good and 50 will be shit every time, unless it's a very, very special sort of thing. And so you always have this weird anti-climax. So it's much better to put it all on one review. Yeah, gotcha. The interesting thing with um, Rotten Tomatoes is that more and more, the difference between what critics like and audiences like seems to be a massive... I've noticed that as well when you go on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics, what they enjoy in audiences, there's such a big difference, isn't there, between the two? Yeah, I feel very out of the loop. I'm I'm in a film that's coming out in a month or so, and uh, it's it's a thing called The People We Hate at the Wedding. It's a really good title. And it's with Alison Janney, uh, who's great, and uh, Ben Platt and, and uh, Kristen Bell. And it's, it's, a, it's an American family who come over to Britain for a wedding. And it was really funny. It was a really funny romantic comedy, like properly. And I just did a week on it. But you know when you're in a film and there's, you've got just enough of a stake in it that you sort of think, oh, I hope, I hope this is good. You just don't know. But um, 
I, I, I kind of look forward to seeing what the response is. What about a Paul David Wonka? I saw you on David, that. David, let's do Mandy. Otherwise, there's no point having this character. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are quite right. You are quite, quite the right. The intellectual property is with Absolutely. This is the USP, okay. the whole thing. This is our okay. franchise. So, don't take the piss out of her. So, no, no, God, no. Not at all. Pressing Full the respect. blue button on Mandy's uh, left-hand side as we Here we go. Her. Lovely stuff. And the question is... Yeah. What did you think of um, the final message at the end of the film, which is quite bittersweet because it doesn't sort of present showbiz in a purely positive manner, does it? Did you come away thinking, well, the idea that you can spend your whole life on this obsession of artistry and creativity and you can come out a bit short-changed at the end? I guess. I, I, but yeah, I mean... Connected to your own career, I mean, you know, the, type of thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing is... I, I actually, I think that was one part of the film that was maybe massaged a little bit away from what actually happened because they were sort of fine. They, they, they weren't in, like Hardy was a big gambler. <laughs> so he'd, yes, he'd lost of, yeah. hundreds of thousands. Did he really? He would, he would gamble on raindrops going down the window. You know, it was, he was pretty, pretty hardcore. So I think he did have some debts and they both were real shaggers and they'd had loads of wine. What? What? And and so they had a lot of alimony um, knocking around, uh, and um, a lot of a lot of money being spent on. Hang that. on, they were real shaggers. Oh yeah, yeah. Laurel was an absolute absolute animal. <laughs> they make that clear at the beginning of the film, don't they? They're kind of womanising. Yeah. That's always subtly kind of like sprinkled in. Yeah. Oh absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so they had kind of you know they weren't super rich, uh, but but famously Laurel was like in the. Um, he was in the phone book to, to the day he died. He was in the phone book in LA. And uh, so you could ring him up and he'd answer the phone. He could ask him questions. Really? So fans yeah, would chat, ring him up and ask him questions? Laurel just chat with strangers. And, the, the, and apparently that's one of the reasons why his autograph is surprisingly uh, affordable these days. Because he'd, he'd just write back to people and he had loads of pen pen pal relationships of people who just wrote to him and he maintained his correspondence. We were just yeah. saying at the beginning of the episode so, how um, he wrote Stan uh, Lauren Hardy films to his grave. Even did, though, did he continue writing the sketches? While yeah, after yeah, he... yeah, yeah. It's really beautiful because mm. uh, he just had. He didn't feel like he needed to do anything else, and that was it. And it was his way of keeping his friend alive. And, and but I, I think from a performer's point of view, and speaking as someone who hasn't done any live stuff for a really long time, actually the story for me is a story of people who two guys who like conquered cinema. And then go back to live stuff. And actually, I think that's, I, I found that really fascinating because, you know, I'm in my mid 40s now. And there comes a stage where live stuff starts getting to be maybe a bit more interesting than the TV and film that you're offered. Because TV and film, you're often doing variations on what you've become known for. And, it, you know, the stage, you can, you can really let loose and it's all to play for. And so I, I quite, I found it, I found it weirdly, um, uh, I don't know, kind of an optimistic view that what you've got to do, no matter how, whether you're Laurel and Hardy or whoever, is at some stage, you always go back to where you started, um, you know, doing, playing to crowds, really. Yeah. But they were, you know, I think it, it was a sort of, yeah, it's quite a melancholy ending, isn't it? I haven't really thought about it for a while. It is quite melancholy. But, but it's got an honesty about it. I quite like the honesty of going, well, you all have a moment <laughs> and theirs was probably bigger than 
And, you know, I think Dave and I probably both know what that feels like, where you have, you know, there's a moment where you're in a thing and everyone's talking about it, it's great, but, and then maybe in a few years, someone will watch it and you'll get a bounce off the back of it. But actually, it doesn't necessarily change your life in the way that, you know, you'd expect it to maybe. Um, How about um, you, the writing of the... the when you is this own... the fifth question, fifth and final? It mm. isn't actually, Thank so I pull it, let's ah. hold on then. Let's hold on. Okay. Like quite, that's it's focus. You are quite right. I said it to myself in bed. Is this the fifth and final question? This is the fifth and final question. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's, I'm trying let to me touch her, uh, uh, the front of her face and press the green button. Here we go. Final question. So, can you um, uh, relate to um, Laurel in the sense that, you know, his fascination with, um, he, he almost had a creative control freak element of him, didn't he? With his, his writing, when he was writing the actual scripts for Laurel and Hardy. Can you relate to that at all with your own TV series, Home? The yeah, idea of, yeah, you know, I can. Well, Home was like, that was a really weird thing where I just had, I was given a lot of control from Channel 4 for that. It was When I look back, it was very free. I didn't feel... It was knackering, but I, I, I felt very... You did, did you do it all on your own? Yeah, yeah. Did you? Wow. Yeah. But I'm, I'm weirdly, I'm, I'm writing a, uh American version now with Ben oh, Stiller. Oh, really? Yeah, Ben, with ben Stiller. Stiller. Yeah. What, with Red Hour Productions? Hey, yes, that's right. Red Hour yeah. Productions. Wow, cool. And we're and I've written a, an episode, and we're, I'm, we're writing a second one now. Uh, with him, back and forth. Yeah, well, no, I'm writing it. He, he's directing, but he's sort of de facto script editor on it. Wow, Amazing. that's great. That's exciting. And it's, but that is, yeah, he's really great. And I'm not just saying that. He's a very, uh, the word I always use, he's very European <laughs> in the sense that he's sort of, uh, he's very straight and, and funny, but I, I can relate to him sort of creatively. But it's very, um, you're part of a bigger machine over there i think and you know when you do something for apple that the money's bigger the stakes seem to be slightly higher you've got to change it culturally so i'm having a weird experience of having done a show once here and then to sort of take the spirit of it but create something totally different why really have you got to change the whole the the, the sort of the, the the key thing of a guy uh, of a syrian coming into america in this case has stayed but the politics around it and the sort of um, the the narrative of it is very very different. Okay. And just things like in America, there are, there are guns everywhere. <laughs> and if you're if you're an illegal immigrant, it's arguably much more terrifying being on an American street than uh, than here. You know, we don't have ICE and all those uh, the, the kind of anti-immigration sort of procedures that they do there. It's it's pretty pretty vicious over there. Rufus, can I can I ask something? Um, so I've done, I feel like I've done quite a lot of writing over the last three or four years, and um, but we've had a really nice year. Yeah, you sure? I can't be fucked to write anything anymore. Oh, I know, mate. Do you do you get that feeling? <laughs> I, I kind of like all the hard work. I'm at critical mass at the moment, Dave. Um, I've, I've got a few things going on, and this thing with with Ben is is the biggest one. Wow! And I and every every morning I sort of like, oh god. Can you summon up the genie? <laughs> and I do, but actually, what I crave right now, I need a side hustle where I'm improvising something. This right is what I love doing the podcast. This is it. I love it, and it's yeah. what I lack. And I think if I'm if I'm gonna have 
if I'm going to continue to write, I need to have a little venue, either online or somewhere else, where I don't write it. I just do it. Yeah. Uh, Because it's quite lonely writing. Oh, like the thing I do with Joe, it feels like the morning pages. Yeah. Just spewing out for half an hour. I don't care what I say, what what ideas fall flat on it. I just need to get it out. Uh, and the idea of sitting at a desk and just working it all through again. I'm like, oh, I don't Yeah, it's can. a lot. And also, I, I started I started writing a lot after home when it was in lockdown. Yeah. And so suddenly you're very, you're double isolated by, by the world and also your job. And it's become, and it becomes, you know, the family finances and you... Right, other realities. You begin to over-associate the the art with the money and, you know... Do you get a lot of notes then from Stiller or sending you very specific... Ben. Yeah, yeah, he's really, he's really... uh, Indeed, the man himself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's great. He he reads it. I mean, it's mad. I think he's... I think he's filming season two of Succession uh, of uh, Severance. Severance. That's, is, what's the visual style of Home as well? Because he's very cinematic, isn't he? Well, is I he don't. Yeah, and we, so we've made it a lot more sort of visually. Uh, it won't just be sort of that sort of faux documentary style. Um, it'll be much more mannered. I think maybe a bit more stylized. Yeah, he's quite an auteur, isn't he? Stiller with his style, Ben Stiller. Yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he's improvised. Uh, interested in just sort of sticking sticking a two cameras on it. Gosh, and, and who's the cast? Do you know who the cast is going to be. No, or? no, no. I mean, listen. Officially, we're not greenlit yet. So uh, wow. Okay, okay. So we, good luck. Apple are very sort of. You know, it's all moving in the right direction, but you know, we're 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 close. I think. So I've just Rufus. Thank you so much for coming on, Rufus. Although I have noticed you've paid Mandy no attention whatsoever. No. I've given <laughs> I have no truck with me whatsoever. I'll just give her a look now. <laughs> Could I just ask one very quick no, thing? No, that's oh, the thing you can't. Absolutely. That's it's the gone. beauty of the podcast. Oh, that's that's a, that's a hey, what, what, what? What do you want to know? <laughs> I was just going to... I don't want to break it. I don't want to burn no, my old bridges. Your, no, go for it. Oh, sorry. Uh, just Wonka. What, what was the experience on that? Oh, Wonka was... I was only on it for a week. It was really fun, though. And oh, the Johnny Depp Wonka? Uh, no, it's with Timothy Chalamet. It's a new one. That's what? Came. And it's Paul Keating with Paddington. And oh. It, uh, and it, I, I, I shot with... Um, uh, it was Matt Lucas, Matt Bainton, and Keegan-Michael Key. Oh, wow, and Keenan and Peel. Yes, yes. I do. I heard your note review on Radio 5. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah, exactly. So so Keegan-Michael Key is the nicest man, and, and I had a good long chat with him about Key and Peel and what he Wow, yeah, it's a great show. And, and do you know what? That was really good because he, he was just saying, I don't remember any of it because we were working so hard, and he was fascinated that it had tra- sort of traction in, in the UK, and uh, and you just realise that everyone's everyone's hustling. Everyone's just doing their best. Oh, honestly, I had no idea this existed. This is Simon Farnaby again. Yeah, it's Simon and Paul. Oh, and he's Co- wrote it with Paul. Oh, King. this Gosh. could be amazing. And it's really, I mean, the, the the best bit about it was that it was all practical sets, which means actual sets. There was a bit of green screen, but generally. It was all practical sets. So you, so it leaves them, you'd walk in and it would just be like the desktop. It was incredible. I'd never been on a set that big. And Did you audition for it? No, I knew Paul. Uh, You've done Paddington. I did Paddington. Yes, and, yes. Um, so he called me in just to play this uh, evil butler to Patterson Joseph. <laughs> and, um, 
And he has, I can't say it, but he has, as the head Oompa Loompa, he has one of the castings of the year as the really? Oompa Loompa. Yeah. I'm I can't tell us who that is. But oh it's the most gosh. unlikely, hilarious choice. Yeah. Oh, that when's it out? That could be. I think, you know, it's not after eight. I think it's Christmas 23. Because these days, I think films, it's got to be Christmas for that, you know, and if you don't get this Christmas, you've got to wait 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. It's either that or summer, isn't it? And yeah. him, um, so you knew Paul King coming up, did you? Because he did. Yeah, I was in university with Paul. Yeah, yeah. What? Were you? Yeah. You know, I was sacked from a sketch show that Paul directed. Was that? No. Oh, we've <laughs> spoken about this on another podcast loads. We got Neil in, actually. You had to sack me. Oh, no. What was the sketch uh, It's me with spoons. Yes. Channel Force. <laughs> was Paul do that? Was that David David Armandon? Oh no. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah. Honestly, when I hear Paul King's name, I just I shiver. Oh so no. I, don't, I, I hate to think what he thinks. <laughs> you were you were a raw talent. <laughs> how how stressed did he seem on Wonka? I mean, in charge of something like Wonka, blew he's that very, your he's very cool. He's very hippie about it. He's very he's really delightful to work with just he'll just chuckle and it to me he looked like one of those really amazing experienced unflappable yeah directors. but yeah. i'm sure it was very you know you have the royal dahl estate and and all that stuff the pressure must be huge I yeah think. but him and farnaby are really when, when i first met stiller he uh he said are you are you doing you're doing something in wonka and i said yeah he said have, do you know someone called Simon Farnaby? <laughs> and, I went, yeah. and it was the weirdest. So, you know, when when two two worlds come to your life that you never think. Oh yeah, definitely. And he just had a meeting with Farnaby, and I thought, bloody hell! I remember when Simon was having all his gear stolen from the Pleasants Beside. You know, in blind. That's amazing, and that yeah. Ben Stiller. Yeah. yeah, crazy man. Crazy. Well, Rufus, thank you, mate. No, You've been our fir the first guest. On this podcast. Oh, well, great pleasure, boys. Nice yeah. to meet you. No, no, thank you so much. Lovely to meet you and just really fascinating And lady. Stuff. And lady. And lady. lady. Nice Lord, to meet you too. Mandy. Don't think I'm avoiding you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Rufus. See you, man. Thank no, you. Thank you very much for your time. It's hugely yeah. appreciated. Oh, mate, thank no, no, no. It's complete, complete pleasure. That was really yeah. fun. See you and, and listen, we'll, we'll, we'll meet up in real life, uh, well, both of you, but Dave... Give us a, are you in? Are you both in uh, the West Country now? I'm in Devon now. Yeah, I was just filming in Devon, Dave. Where? Phone you. I was doing, uh, uh, you know, Death in Paradise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now with Chris Marshall. Yeah, and I did an episode of that, and uh, we were filming. Um, it was near Plymouth. It was near Plymouth. I'm so twenty minutes away. Fuck. There's a place with a golf resort called St Melian. And um, that's where I was staying, and I should have fucking... Oh, bloody hell. Hey, next time. Okay. I didn't know the next time you're in town, anyway. Yes, uh, I will do. Um, Cheers, Rufus. Are you in, are you in the United Agents? I'm with Eddie Great pleasure, David. Cheers, man.